O'Hare gets $50 million from the FAA for Terminal 3 upgrades. And at a luncheon hosted by the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce, the organization's CEO moderated a discussion with the co-CEOs of Advocate Health about their healthcare organization and issues they saw impacting it and the city ahead of the mayoral election. I'll talk about it with Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis. You know, like other CEOs, he said he was particularly anxious about crime in Chicago. And he said specifically that, you know, certain incidents, crime incidents and safety concerns have caused Advocate Health to temporarily shutter some of its locations in the city. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, March 1st. Your business isn't an afterthought, so why would you settle for a bank that treats you like one? At Wintrust, small business clients are matched with a personal relationship manager who offers customized solutions and prioritizes their needs. And that personal touch works. Last year, Wintrust lent the most to Illinois small businesses through SBA loans, making them the number one SBA lender in the state. Start expecting more from your bank. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash SBA lending. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Monday at a luncheon hosted by the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce, the organization's CEO Jack Lavin spoke with Eugene Woods and Jim Skogsberg, co-CEOs of Advocate Health, about their healthcare organization and issues they saw impacting it and the city, especially ahead of Tuesday's mayoral election. I'm joined by Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis to talk it all through. Welcome, Catherine. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. So tell me about this event. So you were there and you, you heard these these leaders of this organization talking about all kinds of issues. Let's start with things that were on their mind ahead of the election. Yeah. So, you know, Advocate Health co-CEO Jim Skogsberg, um, you know, he's a local man. As we know, Advocate Aurora, before the mergers, uh, you know, co-headquartered nearby in Downers Grove and Milwaukee. You know, Eugene, he lives in Charlotte, I believe, um, where Atrium is headquartered. So, you know, it was really Skogsberg that was sort of leading the discussion about, you know, what he's concerned about with Tuesday's election. You know, like other CEOs, he said he was particularly anxious about crime in Chicago. And he said specifically that, you know, certain incidents, crime incidents and safety concerns have caused Advocate Health to temporarily shutter some of its locations in the city. He wasn't specific about where exactly those locations were or how long they were closed for or really the, you know, details around that. But, you know, that was enough to pique my interest just around, you know, how big of an issue crime can be, you know, for healthcare providers, right? I mean, you know, I think there's several levels to this. If someone is a victim of, of violence, they're often going to the hospital, right, to get treated. And so that there's certainly that impact just on the workers and hospitals. It sounded like from what Skogsberg was saying that there were also incidents where, you know, someone violent was coming into an advocate facility, which is, you know, just a whole nother really scary issue. Or there were incidents of violence happening right nearby an advocate facility and they had to temporarily shut it down or shift hours um, you know, and tell patients don't come to this area right now because it's not safe. So, you know, he he didn't name any specific candidates by name, but said, you know, crime was an issue he's concerned about. And sounds like he wants Chicago's next mayor to really be focused on 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 fixing that and alleviating some of that issue. 
You know, the second thing he mentioned that he was concerned about was the city's fiscal health. He didn't go into too deep of detail on that. But, you know, of course, you can imagine that the city and the state's fiscal health has has an impact on on how businesses operate here in Illinois and what they're able to do, how they're able to grow and expand. And so those are a couple of things he mentioned. You know, like I said, Eugene was a little more mum on on the topic of the election, not being a local. He, he mentioned that he was getting acquainted with the process here, I think, with the whole runoff model that we have in Chicago. But, you know, since he will be over the long term, the single CEO of the newly merged Advocate Health, he said he was, of course, looking forward to working with and, and having conversations with whoever Chicago's next mayor is. Which kind of brings up the idea of headquarters. Here's this presence in the Charlotte area and a presence here if the CEO uh, position is eventually going to Eugene Woods there on the East Coast, is that the plan generally that, that the headquarters will, will move there? Or, or is there something, is there another model they're envisioning? When the deal closed in December, the headquarters officially moved to Charlotte. So that is sort of a done deal. Okay. But what Jim really doubled down on yesterday, and this was something he had told me in, in an interview when they first announced the merger, was that they are remaining very committed to Chicago, Milwaukee. And so he doubled down on that point yesterday. And, you know, I thought it was interesting that he mentioned he's even been hearing from people here in the community in the Midwest that they're concerned about what it means for them long-term if the headquarters move to another state. Uh, you know, it's pretty far away on the East Coast, right? I think there's concerns about, you know, what does that mean? Like, does the Chicago or Milwaukee markets become an afterthought? Um, do, you know, high-level maybe promotions and appointments only apply to Charlotte? You know, what does that sort of mean from a workforce standpoint and a resource standpoint? And so Jim yesterday, you know, he really tried to, I think, quell those those anxieties. He said that, you know, advocate health, even in this new forum, is, is going to be in Milwaukee and Chicago forever. He says their commitment to this city and to the state is unwavering. So, you know, I think for some people that that was good to hear. I think with all things, time will tell really, you know, how this merger plays out and whether the headquarters moving really will have an effect. But you know, Skogsberg, he'll be with the health system for maybe another year, 15 months or so before he retires. Sounds like he wants to leave, you know, with a commitment that Advocate Aurora will maintain the presence it's always had in the Midwest. There was an interesting uh, uh, aside from him on this topic in your reporting that caught my eye that he said, if we learned anything in the pandemic, we learned that our headquarters is where our laptops and our phones are. That speaks to a certain amount of flexibility mindset in the organization. And, you know, often the the CEO and, and other leaders, kind of their mindset around that kind of thing really sets the culture. And I thought that was just kind of an interesting uh, note for him to make. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's also particularly interesting because you know, as a healthcare organization, I mean, I imagine most of their employees are, you know, nurses, doctors, people working in clinical settings where, and that is extremely local, you know, you can't give patient care just from a computer typically. So, you know, I think even with this sort of newly found, you know, way of thinking about what a headquarters means and, you know, maybe what it means for the administrative side, healthcare is uniquely local and that will always be such a huge part of what they provide. 
And so did they give any indication about how the organization is doing financially? The pandemic has been really rough on a lot of different sectors of industry, but certainly the healthcare systems the most. How, how are they now? Yeah, you know, they mentioned that 2022 was a particularly tough year. They said that they lost money last year. Um, we don't know exactly how much yet. They haven't released that in their filings yet. But yesterday, at least, was my first inkling that, you know, they had a tough year last year. Like many other hospitals, the labor shortage and the increased amount of money they've had to spend on recruiting and retaining staff had a lot to do with putting them in the red last year. You know, they also mentioned that, you know, some of their government payers, while inflation has, you know, made their costs rise tremendously, the reimbursements they receive from things like Medicare and Medicaid haven't sort of risen as fast and kept up with the inflation we've seen. And so, you know, they said that's put them in a tough position to advocate health isn't unique in this. I mean, health systems across the size spectrum lost money last year. The good news is some early projections say 2023 is going to be better, but we'll have to wait and see on that point. What about pressure from competitors? In particular, I'm thinking of brands that we know as pharmacy giants, right? CVS and, and those kind of organizations and, and Walgreens locally, and even Amazon has started to kind of move into that healthcare space. Did they have anything to say there about, about this kind of new sector, this new area of pressure, perhaps? You know, they said that they are feeling the pressure from some of these newer entrants. You know, I've covered particularly Walgreens pretty closely in their transformation into a vertically integrated healthcare company. You know, most of their focus has been on acquiring primary care, outpatient care, urgent care type of companies, which Jim Skogsberg actually said that he found interesting because outpatient care is where the money's made, right? And he's like, you know, no one wants to compete with us on running a hospital. It's so expensive. It's so hard. You need such clinical and, you know, really qualified talent to run a hospital. Running a, you know, primary care office is a little easier. The overhead costs are cheaper, of course. But, you know, because outpatient care is sort of the area to make money right now, it's certainly putting pressure on health systems like Advocate Health when, you know, these newer entrants are maybe taking some of those patients. And now Advocate Health has to compete harder for those patients in future that might impact insurance contracts we don't really know yet, but they definitely said that they're feeling that competitive pressure from the newer entrants like CVS, Walgreens, Amazon, United Healthcare as well. I think that'll be a big topic going forward. That's just me speculating, but it just seems like as these organizations move further into healthcare, it will be a bigger uh, a bigger conversation for established healthcare systems to kind of navigate that and, and just see what the, the new ecosystem of that is. That's interesting. But on that note, did they give any indication about kind of their vision for the future of healthcare in their system? What are they, they thinking about right now? Yeah, well, you know, with the merger, I think the big thing on their minds right now is how do we make this merger work for us? So how do we find the synergies? How do we cut costs? How do we use our size to our advantage? And, you know, a lot of that can come from having more bargaining power with insurance companies or uh, medical device companies. You know, they kind of get that economies of scale going for them and that's a way to cut costs. They also said that, you know, another cost cutting strategy will be using technology to help provide more care outside of the hospital. You know, like I mentioned earlier, hospital care is really expensive. And the more you can do in an outpatient setting, the more you can do from home, the more 
you know, the health system and I think the patient will save down the line. And so some of the things they mentioned that uh, caught my attention were, you know, using more virtual reality to provide care, um, using, I think, AI chat boxes. They didn't really go into detail on, you know, what exactly that will look like. But, you know, it's interesting to think of a, a health system like Advocate Aurora thinking more like a tech company and utilize the new technology that can help them, you know, become more efficient in the future. Yeah, it's it's kind of curious to to imagine what that might look like, and you know that would be a whole other level of a of a telehealth visit to uh, to be dealing with a with a chatbot. For sure, I know putting on your VR glasses and saying, "Right, hi doc, I've been dealing with you know high blood pressure lately." I don't know. Right, my elbow hurts when I do this. Like, what what does that look like in VR? Right, that's yeah. Cool. Well, another area of healthcare that I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot in the future going forward. Totally. All right. Well, always a pleasure, Catherine. Thanks so much. Appreciate you coming by today. Sure thing, Amy. Coming up, U of I is getting into the business of angel investing. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Here's a great way to stay in touch with Crane's Daily Gist. Subscribe to the Crane's Morning 10. It's our daily newsletter featuring the 10 biggest stories of the day. To subscribe, visit chicagobusiness.com slash morning 10. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. More in-depth discussion about this next story coming up in an upcoming episode of the podcast, but today, here's the gist. The FAA is picking up $50 million of the $200 million tab for upgrades set to start soon at O'Hare's Terminal 3, which is home to American Airlines, the airport's second-largest carrier behind United. Crane's John Pletz reported that the $50 million comes from the 2021 infrastructure bill, which included $25 billion for airports. The new funding will be used to configure the terminal's security checkpoint, update its baggage handling system, add retail space, widen the corridor between concourses K and L, and build restrooms that comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. The rest of the tab, $150 million, is covered by previously allocated federal funds, as well as landing fees and other charges paid by the airlines that serve O'Hare. The update is expected to start this summer and be completed in 2025. Crane's Danny Ecker reported that Walgreens Boots Alliance is putting most of its Deerfield headquarters campus up for sale and consolidating workers into the remaining portion, joining the crowd of major corporations slashing their office footprints as remote work continues to reshape their space needs. Ecker noted in reporting, citing a Walgreens spokesperson, that the company plans to sell its office properties at 200 and 300 Wilmot Road in the northern suburb and combine workers on the campus into a series of buildings at 100 Wilmot Road. The move will allow the drugstore giant to shed roughly two-thirds of its 40-plus acre campus along I-294, where it's been based since 1975. Ecker also reported that the space cutback adds Walgreens to a growing list of big companies that are rethinking their office strategy after many workers adapted to working from home during earlier stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. Allstate was among the highest profile local companies to embrace the shift in a big way, selling its entire Northbrook corporate campus to an industrial developer last year. Across the tollway from Walgreens, medical equipment maker Baxter International 
recently struck a deal to sell its 101-acre campus to Chicago developer Bridge Industrial. Ecker further noted that the Walgreens move could tee up a redevelopment of the property into something entirely different, or perhaps add hundreds of thousands of square feet to available inventory to a suburban office market that already today is saddled with a record amount of vacancies. Two well-known corporate names, Target and Solo Cup, are expanding their industrial footprints in the Chicago area, signing leases for huge warehouses in the southwest suburbs. Crane's Albie Galoon reported that in the larger deal, Target confirmed it has leased a 1.2 million square foot industrial building under construction in the Third Coast Intermodal Hub, an industrial park under construction in Joliet. It's the biggest industrial lease in the Chicago area in more than two years and part of a multi-year expansion of Target's local distribution network. A Target spokesperson confirmed to Cranes that the Minneapolis-based retailer has leased the warehouse for a supply chain facility. Target has been expanding its local distribution network in recent years, Galoon noted, opening a 1 million square foot warehouse in Chicago's Little Village neighborhood in 2021. It followed up last year with leases for two smaller warehouses in Elmhurst and on Chicago's southwest side near Midway. Target also operates a 1.4 million square foot distribution center in DeKalb and another 1.2 million square foot facility in Joliet that opened in 2019. That according to real estate data provider CoStar Group. Target also recently disclosed a $100 million plan to expand its next-day delivery capabilities by opening six new sorting centers around the country. Galoon also reported that Solo Cup, meanwhile, has leased a 1 million square foot warehouse in Country Club Hills built by Chicago developer CRG, near the intersection of I-57 and I-80. Once a private company based in Lake Forest, the maker of the red plastic cups was acquired in a $1 billion deal in 2012 by Mason, Michigan-based Dart Container. Galoon further noted that the leases highlight the continued strength of the Chicago industrial real estate market, even as higher interest rates and economic uncertainty have caused many businesses to curb expansion plans and cut jobs. The industrial vacancy rate fell to a record low of 4.5 percent at the end of 2022. Crane's John Pletz reported that the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign is getting into the angel investing game with the launch of Illini Angels. The program will allow U of I alumni to invest in startups coming out of the school as well as companies started by students after they leave. Illini Angels will be overseen by the university's venture capital fund called Illinois Ventures. Pletz noted in reporting that angel investing or backing from individual investors is often a very crucial component in getting startups off the ground because they provide the earliest stage of funding that helps entrepreneurs get far enough along to attract traditional venture capital firms. Most angel groups are ad hoc collections of individual investors who can pick and choose which deals they want to invest in, unlike the all-or-nothing approach of a traditional fund. U of I, whose alums founded Netscape, PayPal, YouTube, and Affirm, has long been a reliable source of startups. But as Pletz also noted, the effort from U of I is coming a bit late to the alumni investing party. Alumni with connections to the University of Chicago, Notre Dame, and Harvard Business School have all launched angel investing groups in recent years. Hyde Park Angels, which started in 2007 by people connected with U of C's Polsky Center for Entrepreneurship, is perhaps one of the best known. It has 147 investors and 55 active investments, including startups like Shipbox, 
Bob's Simple Mills and Four Kites. Hyde Park Angels, now known simply as HPA, groups its investments in three-year cohorts, and it's invested $100 million in the past three. Irish Angels, a Notre Dame-connected angel group with about 240 members, has invested $60 million in more than 90 companies since it was founded in 2012. And Harvard Business School alumni Angels of Chicago has invested more than $70 million in more than 300 companies since it launched also in 2012. Most angel groups meet quarterly to hear pitches from startups. Pletz reported that Illini Angels plans to hold its first pitches in March. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.